coming to a home that won't kill you. In honor of Hamilton Week on Disney+, Plus. what's a movie or show that has announced it is coming to streaming that you are looking forward to? Uh, I'm Katie Rich, and I don't know if the Netflix remake of Rebecca, directed by Ben Wheatley, is actually coming out this year, but I kind of assume it is, and uh, I need it now more than ever. It's me, David the Seven, and breaking news, I finally get to see First Cow on VOD, July 10th. Uh, and I'm David Ehrlich, and for me, it definitely has to be, although I'm not sure it's coming out later this year, it hasn't officially been announced, but I would guess, because I know it's been in the can for a while, uh, Charlie Kaufman's I'm Thinking of Ending Things on Netflix, uh, and not only because it stars Jesse Buckley, but mostly. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here, this is the war room! Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri, clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you, it's great to be fine. It's It's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 306. It's Pandemic 16. Weirdly, it feels like it's been three years since we did our 300th episode, even though the pandemic episodes are going on forever. 84 years. Time has no meaning. Uh, It's the week of Wednesday, July 1st, 2020. That was the day that in 1904, the first Summer Olympic Games were held in the U.S., they, they were opened in St. Louis. Yeah. And they, that was like pretty soon after the first Olympics. I didn't realize that they came to the U.S. so fast. We had a World's Fair at that time. So they were like, bring everybody. Wow. Yeah. What a um, what a great idea that will never be repeated again. The idea of bringing all those people into one place. <laughs> uh, you might have noticed Matt Patches is gone. Uh, he'll be back. We're actually switching. He is at a vacation house right now. I will be at a vacation house next week. Uh, so is I'll it be the gone. same vacation house or no. different houses? It is okay. not. I'm not getting on an airplane to go to the Hamptons. That's not <laughs> if you're going to get on an airplane to go part. anywhere, of course it would be the Hamptons. But. <laughs> uh, anyway, before we get started, David, I've been told we have a lot of reviews. A lot by our standards. We have five new reviews, I believe. Uh, and they all seem to be a nice, healthy, medium length. So we'll try to push through. And if it gets a little long in the tooth... We'll see how we feel. But without patches here, this episode's going to fly by. So we have extra time for this. Especially if these reviews dunk on him, we can really savor every word. Uh, Aaron Onish says, Patches SMH. So we're off to a great start. Uh, I'm still not sure what Patches' opinion of The Last of Us is. But I feel obligated to tell him he's wrong. Also, I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on the ending of the game. And if you think Joel makes the right choice in the end. First time playing it, I felt awful for what the game made me do, but as I reflected on it for years, I now feel that he was justified. Really, a cure to the virus would never bring back their society, and the only thing that people have left in their world is what they have made for themselves post-infection. Going into The Last of Us Part 2 was super exciting, and the game just pulled me in and sucked up 22 hours of my weekend. Ultimately, I think a lot of the criticism, besides the small but vocal trans-slash-homophobic hate, comes down to how players react to playing through a character's choice that they object to. For five straight hours at the end of the game, I had the strangest feeling as I sat there hoping for mercy when I knew that these characters would choose violence. I found the game to be a haunting and revolutionary achievement in how the medium could be utilized, which understandably received pushback from fans of the first wanting to just relive the first game. Sorry if this is too long. It isn't. It's all talking about The Last of Us. It's not long <laughs> enough. Thank you all for the podcast, and hopefully I can catch you all in the next Fighting in the War Room Zoom call. Yeah. Uh, we, should, we should talk about that. Uh, review, very helpful, of course. Um, to answer your question, I'm going to punt for a second, just because this review segment will already go long enough. But I am very slowly in the midst of writing uh, 
a piece that tries to unpack my thoughts about the ending of The Last of Us and its sequel. It started starts with the Talmud and sort of goes out of control from there. Um, we'll see if uh, my son ever gives me the time I need to um, write a third article about that game. Uh, but hopefully <laughs> he says it will show up in 20 years being like you fucker. <laughs> oh, he said the cause of all my sins and woes. We can talk about him in segment three, uh, but uh, hopefully I'll get around to finishing that. Um, it's one of the, but like when you wait too long and everyone else is producing think pieces about it and you just sort of get tripped up in your own thoughts, everything gets knotted together, a dangerous time. Uh, but we will see, maybe I will add something to the conversation and maybe I will just, uh, make it worse for everyone. Uh, Maynard Oddity says in regards to Pashas and his trash last of us opinion. Oh, this is. This has been a long Monday for me, and this is uh, everything I needed to make it whole. After spending an adolescence obsessed with video games ranging from various genres and generations, one comes to understand their limitations as a medium. They can immerse people into worlds and enrage them with the level, engage them with the level design and gameplay. But due to graphical limitations and being a medium primarily headed by people from the tech world and not storytellers, dis things like immersive environments, well-written scripts, good performances, and analysis of violence committed within the game itself. The reason why The Last of Us as well as Left Behind, the DLC, and Part 2, hit so hard for people who enjoy video games, both casuals and diehards, is that it was the first time a major studio has invested large resources into a project that is thoroughly human and handles difficult subject matter with aplomb. I don't know, at first time, I thought Donkey Kong was a very relatable character, throwing barrels, wearing a tie, sort of business casual, angry at the world. Donkey Kong wears a tie? Of course, that's like all Donkey Kong wears. Um, anyway. David's referring to the N64 Donkey Kong, who's also named Donkey Kong, not the Donkey oh. Kong from the original game, who was retconned to be named Cranky Kong in the Rare Universe. Oh, boy. All right. So wow. thanks to Dave, Katie, I think we can conclude that we were both right. Um, and yes, in the spirit for, I, of, I know something about video games for once. <laughs> in the spirit of The Last of Us Part Two, a game about cycles of retribution, we can just agree to reconcile here and spare the carnage. Uh, the gameplay, back to our reader here, or uh, reviewer, rather. The gameplay, while seemingly rudimentary for people looking at walkthroughs, dis to patches, holds unknown complexities and provides wonderful moments for players, even in the late hours of the game. Rather than trying to be the most game, like your Rockstar and Ubisoft projects, Last of Us and the other Naughty Dog games want to be the best of what they are. And really, shouldn't that be what we all aspire to? That's my editorializing, but I think it is. Also, on the surface, the stories may appear very surface level, but for those of us who actually play the games, spend tens of hours with these characters, and hear every single little interaction between them, as well as reading notes and looking through their journals, it creates a level of emotional intimacy between the characters and the player that cannot be achieved with most films. Patches, my dude? Just play the actual game before trashing the thigh heavens. Parker B, and oh, plot twist, the Sarah Lawrence student from the Colin episode. Oh! Yeah. yeah, I remember Parker. <laughs> hey, Parker. Review, very helpful. Uh, I actually have to say, in Patch's defense, he was much less ornery and combative on the episode than he was. He like, was before the episode? Before the episode <laughs> I, I, I want to say um, that last reviewer that you make a lot of good points about video games, but then describe Stockholm Syndrome, and like, and that's why it's good. <laughs> so there's, there's the, like, a, you, you found a way through there, but also be be careful. <laughs> Um, we're going to read one last one, and we'll save the other two for, for next week. Um, this one, just by scanning it real quick, seems like it's more in the less about The Last of Us and more running down things about all of the hosts in the classic style. So we can end this segment on a high note. Sarah Botic says, This podcast is a longtime favorite of mine and overdue for a review. As a 30-something about to have her first child in two weeks. Ooh, okay, wait. good luck! You're, 
you're having your first child in two weeks or this is the first time in two weeks you've had a child i think the first time in two weeks she's had a child okay um <laughs> serobotic i i uh weep for your uh reproductive system but, <laughs> it's, it's super uh, fast um oh wait there's more to that thought in parentheses ah please accurately <laughs> express my existential horror of childbirth times covid times global political racial environmental turmoil i don't know if i can appropriately express that horror cerebotic but i can promise you that i feel it and i think katie and i and also dave in his own way are, are going to be talking about and around it during segment three tonight so stay tuned <laughs> um it seems like i'm a part uh, i'm part of a key fighting the war room demographic yes people who are uh anxious about, to about have the their universe. kids <laughs> <laughs> also that I come to this podcast for its humor, insight, and friendly conversation about both media and, well, the human condition, I guess. Uh, referring, of course, to the uh, Kobayashi trilogy of films from the 1950s. <laughs> Shout outs for the hosts. Katie's optimism, critical thinking, and ability to stay on topic are clutch. She's the old school cool that is the glue holding those other loose cannons together. Old school <laughs> loose cool. cannons. I like that. Yeah. Um, Dave Seven brought me to this podcast via Storm of Spoilers, RIP-ish, because I'm out for the count on Lost. Sad. I love his nerdy acumen and snark. I also love a good Dave Seven rant. Bring it on. Patch's nonsense usually results in a 50-50 scoff chuckle from me, but I love yelling at his crackpot ideas, so I think I'm pretty aligned with the rest of the audience. David is a sarcastic, self-deprecating, soliloquizing pedant. So as a high school teacher, I naturally can't get enough of that shit. Uh, they were, they spelled it S-H double asterisks redacted because iTunes rejected my original review. My first thought that she was redacting it to protect her high school age students. <laughs> um, I, I guess not. Each of you guys has such a great sense of humor and so many nuanced thoughts are in the case of Patches hot takes to share for all that you discuss, I really look forward to the podcast each week, and I'm so grateful for all the time and effort you put into it. Thank you all. Uh, Sarah Botic, what a lovely review. Um, a bomb for our souls, I'm sure. Uh, thank you so much for re leaving it. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to everyone for listening and who's reviewed us. Uh, we will get to Robert, <laughs> Robert Frost <laughs> um, and Dar Biakt and anyone else who wants to leave a review on iTunes at Fighting in the War Room next week. Uh, please, please do so. We'd love to hear from you. On Robert the show. Frost is a really good, uh, mm -hmm. good tonight's name. <laughs> So, guys, the entertainment industry has decided that now is the moment to make some decisions about content that it is presenting, especially in this age of streaming, where shows may never die unless they are murdered. Um, I think an example of this being done uh, culturally before, specifically I want to talk about uh, all the episodes that are being pulled uh, for blackface or weird race things uh, and how far they've gone. But uh, when this first started happening, I thought back to uh, uh, the episode of The Simpsons, the Lisa's birthday episode that sure. featured a uncredited uh, Michael Jackson, but is also a pretty, I think, seminal episode of The Simpsons. 
uh, and that got pulled. Uh, they no longer air it. It's not going to appear on any further re-releases. It's not on Disney+. Plus. You have to track down ye old DVDs of before uh, Michael Jackson's uh, allegations of uh, being a horrible child predator came about. Do you about. know if they've, they've restored the uh, World Trade Center episode to Disney+. Plus? I believe they have. Homer versus New York? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's still there. Um, I know they launched Disney Plus without it because like people couldn't handle seeing the World Trade Center. No, the episode was sort of taken out of syndication after nine eleven happened, um, and you know, just it seems like something like that is probably less permanent in a way than uh, the more culturally sensitive. I don't know if sensitive is the right word. Nine eleven sensitive in its own right, but then you know the the bad guy thing that we have with Michael Jackson. Uh, we'll see. Right. I mean, that was like, uh, I think that's a good example of like, there was a lot of uh, times or a lot of early 2001s where the, the media censored images of the world trade center, just because it wasn't like necessarily time to put people in that mindset. And I sure. can see why if the entertainment industry thinks that that's like an effective way to manage things, uh, that now, uh, in the light of protests against police brutality and Black Lives Matter protests, uh, that they're going to start pulling episodes, uh, that, uh, had blackface involved. Uh, this started, I think, because a whole bunch of people started or continued to call out, uh, late night comedians that had done blackface, uh, for other comedy in the 90s, early 2000s. I'm thinking specifically Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, they apologized, and those sketches are obviously for things like The Man Show, which isn't super popular right now, and uh, <laughs> old <laughs> SNL sketches. Yeah. <laughs> and old SNL sketches, which could easily uh, be removed. Uh, then, um, I believe the next one that happened actually wasn't Blackface, but uh, South Park finally came to HBO Max, and they pulled all the episodes that uh, referenced drawings of Muhammad. Uh, which they had previously done uh, for episodes where they had drawn Muhammad and nobody cared. But then once uh, our, you know, international uh, debate over whether it was okay to have political cartoons featuring the Prophet Muhammad, uh, South Park, of course, dove into that issue with its um, trademark non-delicacy and produced a whole bunch of episodes, including uh, episodes 201 and 202, I be- or 200 and 201, I believe, and uh, a two-part episode that's mostly about Family Guy called uh, Cartoon Wars. Uh, they pulled all those episodes. This is the first time Cartoon Wars has been pulled. The other ones were pulled previously, as I mentioned, for, like, Muhammad things. All seemed fine. 30 Rock uh, pulled some episodes that included blackface, which I could see why you don't want to be watching 30 Rock and then stumble upon a blackface joke, because 30 Rock, by all means, doesn't, like, isn't based around blackface jokes. It just included that in its uh, repertoire. So I didn't think that was like necessarily a horrible call. Uh, and especially since it was a letter from Tina Fey who asked to have them pulled, it reads even more like a creator having control over their own work, which I'm definitely in favor for. Uh, then things started to get weird. Um, <laughs> Hulu and uh, Hulu and Netflix, or I think the way it went down is Netflix pulled Community's episode Advanced Dungeons and Dragons for when Ken Jong is dressed up as a dark elf as having blackface, which I guess, 
And then as, after Netflix pulled it uh, within a few hours, it was also gone from Hulu. And then if that wasn't enough, Hulu continued with pulling a Golden Girls episode where they wear like facial mud masks that I guess look enough like blackface. Uh, I think to they get make it. I think they make a joke about saying like, "This isn't blackface. This is mud." Mask. I have and, yeah, like, one of episode- my favorite. Oh, sorry, Katie. Oh, you were, were you going to explain the episode better than I was? No, I was just gonna. I was gonna piggyback off what you were saying. But if please continue. It, the, the, episode the episode is about race in some way. Like it's about like. I mean, I get it wrong. It's like someone's son is marrying a black woman, and like there's like varying levels of like approval across both families. So it's like in the context of like everyone being kind of thinking about race, and then they make the mud masks joke. As far as I understand it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, again, it's in the, it's in the realm. And then I think like the cherry on the top of all this is after, uh, online petitions gave, gained hundreds of thousands of signatures to change, uh, Disneyland and Disney World Splash Mountain ride into a Princess and the Frog ride. Disney was like, oh, we've been doing that for years. Uh, so whether or not you believe that's true, uh, we're, Wiping out, uh, I guess, a lot of our uh, blackface culture, which is good uh, in theory, but I think we've gone too far. Well, this I is think fascinating, that- a fascinating position for you to be in, Dave, in general, as the like, you know, person who has been teaching me to like understand defund the police to be like, ah, now cancel culture has gone too far, well, which I, I know is I, not I, what this is. I don't want to put words in Dave's mouth, but I think sort of reflecting on the difference between that Simpsons episode and the spate of things you've seen recently, particularly the uh, weirder examples, is that it can feel, you know, in, in terms of that Golden Girls episode, for example, um, as if it is really, and I hate to use this term because it is often used in the worst possible faith, but kind of corporate virtue signaling of avoidance of not doing the the necessary systemic and structural work that needs to be done to address uh, racism and racist biases in the media. It's, it's you know, curtains on the Titanic, um, just pulling these episodes and thinking that they've done some good and can add it to the checklist of action that they've taken. Whereas that Simpsons episode was more a matter of sensitivity, I think, for a time period. It wasn't an avoidance of something so much other than avoiding the, the trauma or, you know, of what happened that day. But it was, it was not in lieu of doing more soul-searching. It was just... Um, this is not something that we're going to out of discretion that people need to see for the next period of time. Um, although it is always weird. Elisa and I watched uh, Escape from New York this weekend, a movie that I have not seen in a very, very, very long time. And I forgot that it starts them hijacking Air Force One and flying it directly into downtown Manhattan. And for reasons Jesus. that I cannot explain, John Carpenter chooses to crash. They have the World Trade Center there. I mean, the movie is from 1981, maybe. And they have the World Trade Center right there. And it's like, <laughs> I mean, it, it seems from that you know, post-apocalyptic 1980s imagination, like an obvious target. So obvious that it's crazy. None of us, uh, or our defense sec- secretaries and somewhat like didn't think to, uh, think about as a, as a possible terrorist target, um, in this way. But, uh, and then they just crashed into some anonymous building nearby. Um, I guess they, because World Trade Center was too valuable as a plot point, it's where Snake lands and eventually takes off from or d- fails to take off from. Anyway, um, so those sensitivities still linger. But I do think that's the key difference between the two. Um, but it's also so insane to me that these things have gone unchecked uh, on this level until now, specifically in terms of recasting the roles in these animated shows like Central Park. Oh, um, yes. And the other show, I can't remember. Um, that... 
And Central Park is a brand new show. They air for the first time this year. It's still not even done airing its first season, I believe. And they cast Kristen Bell, who is a very talented actress and has a lovely singing voice. And I know that's instrumental to the character. Um, but, uh, which is not to say there are not tons of people of all uh, kinds who could hit, hit those metrics, but um, they cast her as a biracial young uh, girl, I believe. And, uh, that's in 2020. It's psychotic to me in this day and age that that conversation wasn't had. And apparently it was had at some level and then simply dismissed. But I, I mean, we were talking about the, the, the Golden Girls. Like I, one of my favorite photos of my wife ever taken is her wearing a charcoal mask, reading a book to our stuffed animal hot water bottle hippo. And uh, I have always been really like occasionally I see it. I'm like, Oh, I want to put that on Instagram. And for six years, something has stopped me um, from sharing it. Or maybe I did share it and buried it under. And someone was like, was like, uh, that no, mask I doesn't mean, look like you think it does. I, I don't know. It's just like, it's, it's the intention is so obvious, but at the same time, it seemed to be so not worth any possible kerfuffle that it could cause. I mean, if, if what Katie and said and about the Golden bizarre. Girls episode is right, then I'm even more mad because that's exactly where you want a joke about mud masks looking like blackface. Like that, I think is like, uh, um, I, the, the thing that they put in front of the Tom and Jerry cartoons, uh, Warner Brothers does, which I know I've mentioned on the podcast before, but in case this is your first time hearing me talk about how America needs to just fucking own the fact that it has like blackface comedy as part of its original sin, uh, on, uh, Tom and Jerry cartoons, one of the main Tom and Jerry characters is like a mammy character with striped socks. Uh, who plays a very important part. So before all of the Tom and Jerry cartoons in which she appears, if you buy them in reissues and remasters, uh, it starts with uh, this statement. The cartoons you're about to see are pr- products of their time. They may depict some of the ethnic and racial prejudices that were commonplace in American society. These depictions are wrong then and are wrong today. While the following does not represent the Warner Brothers view of today's society, these cartoons are being presented as they were originally created because to do so otherwise would be the same as claiming these prejudices never existed which is the fucked up thing about taking something down like advanced dungeons and dragons which like very very glancingly make us a reference to the dark elf maybe being blackface but otherwise is a piece of uh you know storytelling the golden girls episode that sounds like a piece of storytelling and i haven't seen the community episode but is it getting into the idea that like orcs and i mean i mostly understand orcs from the lord of the rings movies that like even though they are fictional characters in a fantasy world they are like evoking a racist stereotype like is it is it going that deep they do have, um, they make fun of one of the socially conscious characters, Britta, for getting too involved with the goblin server because she sees the <laughs> goblin server as being people and not just a slave. So funny. they have some of that. It's not with the exact same dark elf character because they have to kill that character off and he's not even in most of the episode, but it does seem like it's a, it's a weird thing, uh, especially in comedy, uh, to like pull, things that even get close i i mean i i i'm not a big fan of the comedian should be able to make fun of everything not because i don't believe it but because i believe if you get to that point in the argument somebody's already made like a bad faith uh (laughs) like suggestion like well what what if you know a good rape joke but what i am thinking is that it's these if it's comedians doing blackface and we're like hey maybe we should 
demand an apology from Jimmy Kimmel and Jimmy Fallon. Absolutely. If it's Tina Fey being like, hey, I've heard from people and I don't want my show to be accidentally hurtful. Can you pull it? Great. So far, I've heard nothing from the producers of Community. I've heard nothing from anybody who owns the rights Mm -hmm. to Golden Girls. What I've heard is Netflix and Hulu made these decisions to start pulling it. I know for sure that's what HBO Max did because the uh, episodes that they pulled from HBO Max, the South Park episodes, are still available on the South Park official site. So it's about companies uh, not like actually proactively helping the movement but just taking these reactionary steps and they've started to i think uh go too far and it's, and it's, re- it's evidence there's not evidence anyone is learning anything in the process of this it, right. it feels like companies covering their asses rather than like a creator reckoning with something that they themselves did and i think and it's also valuable for for our culture to have to confront its shame and to live with that legacy as well um, to learn from it, but really also to sort of sit with with that and not be able to forget, as we are all liable to do, um, you know, for a period of time, that the sources of our embarrassment or the, the bad things that we've done. Um, and I think HBO Max has, despite the, uh, despite how clumsily I think this process was communicated. Um, has done right, I believe, by uh, Gone with the Wind, um, or really us having to deal with Gone with the Wind. I mean, it was <laughs> uh, not not communicated very well when they abruptly pulled it from the service uh, um, after some blowback. That I can't remember. There was there was a think piece that someone, some <laughs> artistic <laughs> luminary, wrote that that triggered this to begin with. I can't remember who, but um, I can't remember. Uh, many and, many a Gone with the Wind thing piece to choose from. Yes, but then now world. Gone with the Wind, as they had promised and should have promised from the outset, but it, they quickly conveyed that this would happen, has now resurfaced on HBO Max with a four or five minute introduction from someone who is very capable of explaining the context around the film and what's pernicious about it. Um, and it implicitly would argue that it would do more harm than good to simply disappear a movie like that. Um and I think that that is really the best way of dealing with these issues going forward. Obviously, Gone with the Wind demands a little bit more sensitivity than an episode of Community, um, simply because of its significance to our culture. No disrespect to Community, a show that I and will never extent, ever watch. And the extent um, of the racism in Gone with the Wind. Oh, of course. What uh, there is that <laughs> as well. Yeah. Wait, so you're telling me that Gone with the Wind is racist beyond a glancing reference to an orc? <laughs> Who may be wearing black <laughs> There are a lot of orcs in Gone with the Wind, weirdly, but yes. Um, but uh, so I think that that's a good model going forward as long as they um, maybe at this juncture don't pull the content before taking it upon themselves to record an introduction and simply uploading it before. And as a as a massive fan of 30 Rock, I would actually love if there would be some kind of intro for these episodes of 30 Rock kind of grappling with the whole idea that like I I don't create comedy, so I haven't had to like do it from something I have made. But like the notion that like if you are using blackface to make fun of blackface or if you are doing it with the right intention, quote unquote, then like it's okay. And I think that's something that like. 30 Rock was kind of buying into and making these episodes and then I as a viewer and as a white person kind of allowed it too and I'm kind of like figuring out my way out of that and I would like that's a lot thornier for me and I think for a lot of people now than the racism and gone with the wind to like kind of see your way through um, so it'd be really interesting if this was an opportunity for them to do that but it doesn't sound like Hulu or anyone else has any intention of doing that I mean they could they could loop around and be like we're gonna put 
we're going to put these things back up like Gone with the Wind with some more context and with some warnings. And I guess if I'm encouraging anything, that's what I'm encouraging. Yeah. Because it is getting to the point where, like, just deleting it is kind of pretending like it doesn't exist. And now yeah. we're cutting into the artistic uh, generation of shows. And it's like, I don't know. I, I, there are a ton, a ton of South Park episodes that I no longer agree with. But when they aired, I thought they were hilarious. And I think, like, that reckoning with that changing of um, your reaction to comedy and television and animation in general absolutely mm-hmm. should include racism, sexism, political thoughts, whether or not South Park could still be like both sides are dumb and take responsible, uh, you know, episodes on both those sides. And if they're wrong, just fucking hang, hang them by their own petard so it never comes off the internet. I feel like that's what everybody's working with. Uh, but, you know, I just... Everybody check out what uh, what's going on with Hulu and Netflix and pay a lot of attention to what they're pulling because they're starting to pull some stuff that I would consider is good. Let's keep an eye on it. Can I loop back to, to Splash Mountain? I don't think this yeah. is going to show. Yeah, you yeah. agree with Splash Mountain not being Song of the South anymore, right? Yes, but not because Song of the South is racist. I mean, no, no, no. Yes, because Song of the South is racist, <laughs> but not because Splash Mountain is racist. I have no idea Splash Mountain is racist. Um, they took remember. out the Tar Baby scene. It's about honey. They only used the song The Laughing Place. There's a couple of uh, racist, uh, I guess, like voice lines, I would say, but they're not any less caricatured than the very specific Louisiana ones in Princess and the Frog. But so, if Disney is choosing a movie from their vault to celebrate with a ride. Like why not? Princess of the Frog is great. No, no, I'm definitely. Why not have it not be Song of the South? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm definitely. I mean, Song of the South was a dumb thing to make a ride about in the '80s in the first place. That's when the mistake happened. Uh, I think they did as much as they could to dodge it. Then, obviously, naming it after the movie Splash, which is has nothing to do with, and you know, like I said, taking out all the racist things that were part of the movie. That being said, uh, like also. Like I, I'm not super sad when the theme park rides go away. It's, it's not like a statue to Song of the South. It's fine. <laughs> we needed something new. Uh, it's going to make a great Bayou log ride. I can't wait to go there uh, eventually. When there's a vaccine. Yeah, when there's a vaccine. <laughs> Well, gentlemen, as far as I know, neither of you grew up on the Babysitter's Club, uh, the book series by Anne M. Martin that was published, uh, I don't know, sometime starting in the early 80s until the late 90s, basically exactly the sweet spot for me to be super into it. Um, there have been various adaptations of it over the years. There was a movie in like 1995. There was a series on television that I didn't really watch that much. Loved the books, was never that much into screen depictions. Um, there is a new version on Netflix this week. Uh, if you follow a bunch of film or TV critics on Twitter, you might have heard about it because the embargo has lifted and everyone is raving about it, including me. It's so good. I'm so excited about it. Um, you guys, neither of you knew this existed at all until like today, right? No, no. So I'm going to try to describe to you what I've heard about the new series and you tell me where I'm wrong. <laughs> okay. All right. It's a bunch of girls. They're in their early teens. Yeah. They're like 12 or 13. And they're 12 or 13. Uh, they're all babysitters. Yes. Uh, unlike uh, the book... This has updated some of the themes 
to 2020. We have a mixed race. They all have to uh, deal with COVID. They all have to deal with COVID. (laughs) They can only babysit kids if they are quarantining with their families. Uh, There's a, there's a mixed, mixed race family now. Yes, although the uh, the mom is dead, which is part of the books, the, but the girl is uh, is half black, half white. Excellent. And is, Alicia Silverstone dead a race? <laughs> <laughs> is Alicia Silverstone in this? Yes, she sure is. Oh. She's Christie's mom. Okay. Um, so and it, the, the the dad of the mixed race girl we were talking about is Mark Evan Jackson, aka Holt's husband, as referred to in our household. Or um, oh, sure. Place. Anyway, you know him. He wears sweaters and is stern a lot on television. So as someone who knows nothing about the Babysitter's Club, what sort of structure are these episodes taking in this first season? Uh, they are exactly riffing off of the books. Like, the each episode title is the same title as the, like, first ten books. I mean, the series books had, like, what, 300 books in it or something like that. Like, it ran on well after I outgrew them. I've not read all of these books by any means. Um, but it has, like, Christy's Great Idea is the first one, and then Dawn and the Terrible Three about, like, kids that are hard to babysit so each episode is kind of a different girl's perspective kind of going like having her voice over narration but it's got like some plot lines for all the kids going on um it's not as rigid as like each episode is a different babysitting gig it's kind of a different challenge each of them is facing um but the part where i really fell in love with the show and i think a lot of people have is that it's got plot lines that had no roles in the original book series um like the like one of the uh the kids they're babysitting is like has recently transitioned trans girl and like one of the characters learns to stick up for her and just stick up for herself in the process and dawn who was written in the books as kind of this like blonde california hippie chick is latina and has moved back to connecticut and kind of comes with all of her hip la knowledge and it's just got all of these really chill ways of updating the show to be more inclusive but kind of be in the spirit of a book series it was all about like learning to be responsible as a kid and like wanting to be taken seriously by grown-ups and coming into your own uh and they fit so naturally together and it makes me even more pissed off at all the people who have been like ghostbusters can never be girls you've ruined my childhood by adapting this thing that i like to make it different because i think the babysitter's club really proves that the point is to adapt it and update it and change it and play with something because the book's always going to exist uh and you can do such uh, incredible things with it when you mess with it a little bit man you just sold me on liking this is punching down on ghostbusters people so i'm definitely into it have you thought about how maybe the ghostbusters movie just won't ever come out no, a silver lining of the pandemic. Dan, Dan, Al- Dan Aykroyd needs more vodka money. <laughs> uh, anyway, watch Babysitter's Club. It is it is the thing that I have been watching that I most want to return. I haven't finished it just yet, but it is. When do uh, we get soothing. it? Friday? Friday? Friday. Yeah, same day as Hamilton. So watch Hamilton. Is there a Last of Us Part Two themed episode? Uh, I th- made that season two. Okay, where all the girls get together and just play the Last of Us Part Two. <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch crossover. I would love to begin this segment. Go, go for yes. it. Uh, I have, you know, each week in this pandemic gets, wears me down a little bit uh, more than the previous one did. And uh, the, today, this this Monday of this week, recording was especially trying for reasons I can't entirely put my finger on, but it was just a very hairy day. I had some 
sudden abrupt work things that were thrown in my lap. Um, I had to go into Manhattan to get some prescriptions. I came home and took my son for a walk and it started hailing, even though my weather app said that it was just going to be cloudy with no chance of precipitation. We were caught in a legitimate hailstorm uh, and I had to eventually run the stroller home at full speed as I was sopping wet. Uh, and Asa, bless his heart, did not stop, start crying until uh, we just rounded the corner to our block. But uh, he then had a wild, wild, big boy energy evening, um, which is something that we are dealing with day by day. But as we've discussed in the show previously, uh, Elisa and I are both very fortunate to still have our jobs, given what's happening to the economy in this country. Um, but with daycare being a thing of the past, we have had an inordinate amount of trouble doing those jobs um and on days where we both have demanding schedules it's really a game of uh uh hot potato and whatever else you want to call it to to make things work uh and it grinds me down um and my real question is twofold one katie rich how do you do it you have two oh, boys Christ. boys are monsters um i i don't understand uh and two i don't know what contingent of our audience uh consists of single parents but the oh, amount Christ. the amount of empathy that i have and would like to think i've always had but it's really for obvious reasons become more palpably pronounced in recent months for single parents i i just honestly cannot understand how you do it. And I would have to imagine one of your secrets is not taking valuable time to listen to film and culture podcasts. Mm, uh, so true. there probably are not that many of you out there, not to shame those who've, of you who may be in that situation. But um, Although, I don't know about you guys, I'm more today to my podcast than books at this point, because when it, oh, I am sure. done, my, the mental bandwidth I have is podcast length. But... Uh, Sure. I mean, and, and I've been taking, you know, I get my 10,000 steps every day. It is the only thing along with my pumpkin pie Talenti ice cream and my Monday night episodes of Below Deck that's keeping me sane. Uh, <laughs> and also, of course, my love for my wife and child. Um, but, uh, it's, um, yeah, I, I honestly like, you know, to go into the most cliched territory possible. And they're all superheroes and all that. But it's also just logistically, I cannot wrap my head around just the very basics of how they do it. Um, and I'm also odd, but Katie, uh, let's, let's start with you. I know <laughs> so you don't want to hear about when one of my children pushed the other one into the like pool, I the do. pool of I the do. cabinet tonight, uh, as part of play. <laughs> and then, uh, Sam, who's the younger one, who's the one who got pushed into the cabinet, like cried for 20 seconds. And then we just wanted to play some more glutton for it's punishment. Like the only really blessing here is that kids have such short memories and it's heartening mm -hmm. to learn that that doesn't change by the time that they're Sam's age. Um, yeah. Oh, Sam yeah. is what? Like, uh, 15, 18 months, 16, 18 uh, months? tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, wow. uh, uh, also speaking of kid memories, I am so close and everyone better go vote in November to make sure this happens to achieving my goal as of November, 2016, that Charlie will be four, uh, in a couple weeks. Uh, we'll never know who Trump is until he learns about him in school. He's so close. He still doesn't know. He has no idea. Uh, like he has, we have mentioned it once or twice and it just doesn't stick. It doesn't matter to him. Um, everybody help me out. Let Charlie. The only one who has shorter vote, a shorter memory than the average American voter is an 18 year old. Am I right? Yeah. Um, 
But uh, I, Katie, I cannot wait to see what the high school or grade school textbooks look like for the Trump section. Like, well, from what happened, do you pare down to four or five pages? But also, don't you remember getting to like even in AP US history, like by the time you got to Reagan, it was like, shit, 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 we're out of time. Everybody just run through Star Wars really fast. (laughs) Like you don't learn any of the recent stuff for so long. It's true. It's true. And I think, you know, given what the recent stuff is like these days, they'll try, probably try to punt it as far as possible. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, how like on a week to week basis, how are you feeling? Is it a war of attrition for you where you feel like you're being uh, knocked down a little bit every week, sanded down to some sort of nub of yourself? Um, or like uh, it does for Elisa and I. And I have to, you know, shout out to Elisa who can hear every word I'm saying on the other side of a very thin wall right now. But, uh, she, you know, she has uh, been you know, beyond incredible throughout all of this. And uh, when I, part of my awe and admiration for single parents is you know, just tapping into the the few hour stretches at a time where I'm just alone with Asa uh, without her to write the ship. But, um, you know, it's, uh, we, we have a vacation in early August and uh, we are like truly living for it right now. Where and they survive because of it. Well, we had hoped to, in a, in a way that I knew was always sort of borderline delusional and optimistic, but we, you know, we went to Iceland last summer and, it was just such a respite and so incredible and not maybe as prohibitively expensive as you might think. And we certainly weren't on track to be able to afford something like that this year. But because we haven't sent Asa to daycare, and if you don't know mm. how much daycare costs in Brooklyn, I will not horrify you by telling you. Uh, but we have suddenly, I wouldn't say saved, but not spent a bunch of money that we <laughs> thought we were going to. Um, and a, uh, sanity saving trip to Iceland where they have all but conquered the pandemic. Um, and we made a big deal about opening up and testing American travelers at the airport. And if you tested positive, they turn you around, uh, and send you right back home. But if you were negative, they would let you into the country where it's like a, a pleasure zone where, you know, you probably want to wear a mask out of respect, but for the most part, you can live in a world that is not checked under the same pressures and, and demands and social restrictions that we are right now or should be anyway. Um, and I think Iceland is still as safe as it was when we started sketching out this idea, but America has very obviously tipped, uh, in the wrong direction because we are an abject country of morons that does not deserve to exist uh, and demented notions of personal liberty are going to get so many, continue to get so many innocent people killed. Um, and uh, I, I am concerned not only for things getting worse in America, if we made plans and air travel not being possible anymore, that Iceland might do the right thing and the wise thing and kick us and out in the same way that the, the, yeah. the EU is planning on doing. Um, yeah. But uh, also that there's always the possibility if you go away for a week that you might not be able to come back. Um, And uh, I was just reading a story about a guy who (laughs) sailed across the Atlantic in a small single person boat to visit his 90 year old father, uh, which took him 80 days because he had no amazing getting there. Um, And uh, uh, Elisa and I, uh, as resourceful as she is, and I am definitely not, I don't think, especially with Asa uh, and his big boy energy that he's suddenly developing, despite having two pretty, you know, nerdy, nose in books, relaxed parents, um, has developed, uh, would not be able to uh, paddle from Iceland to New York. So we may end up just, just going upstate yourself, somewhere. <laughs> if we find a place. 
I'm getting well, some Katie, pressure to yeah, go. How are you? How are you doing? Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, and I want to hear from Dave. I've been talking. Okay. Oh no, I was just saying I was getting some some pressure by from relatives who would like to see me out in Vegas, and I'm like, I can't go out there and end up having to be in Vegas for you know however long I get you know quarantined because I'm sick or whatever. So it's not about feeling like going to Vegas is too risky. It's about the idea of traveling somewhere and being like you would fly there. I assume. No, no, I'd drive there. Flying oh, seems so, like so super they can't dumb. make you stay there. I mean, are we gonna are we gonna end interstate? Travel? No, but I'm not going to like be so sick that I'm gonna drive through Utah like sick. Like if I get sick in the middle of driving by myself from oh, one okay. sound to You're another. Imagining- Sure. Yeah. Well, because Java's um, not going to go with me because we're not going to like fuck. Anyway, it's not important. It's just it's it's real tough if you don't have like a team of people to keep your family together to like do these like small sailing across the ocean to take eighty days to see your father. All, the family pressure is so real, right? Like my mom is you know was re- has a deep love in her heart for her grandson uh and is really buoyed by his existence um after a, a really tough number of years and it's been really heartbreaking for all of us to to know that she hasn't been able to see him I mean, she's seen him three or four times and then the pandemic hit and she hasn't been able to see him since february uh oh, and God. it's it's terrible because we only live 45 minutes away but um no matter you know new york beating the curve and whatnot it, it still doesn't feel quite safe she's worried about bringing us the virus and weak and given that she's 74 and has um underlying conditions uh we are that much more nervous about maybe being asymptomatic because we haven't been tested and giving her the virus um and every week we dance around the idea of her maybe coming to visit um and if she could babysit asa that would be a lifesaver for elisa and i uh even one day a week or an afternoon a week but um it always seems like the risks outweigh the rewards uh and the extra dagger is that her granddaughters and my sister's kids are all quarantining 20 minutes away from where my mom lives and they at a certain point as best i can tell basically just said fuck it and uh are all hanging out with masks on um and it now feels i worry anyway i don't think my mom has put this on me but i worry that it feels punitive or paranoid or some combination of the two that elisa and i are like you know no you can't yeah see your grandson yeah. it's I mean, really every, hard everyone is having to make their own decisions about like what feels safe and what doesn't and like for us sending the kids back to daycare for a little while and now taking them out of daycare so that we can't go see my parents which is like so much less of a sacrifice than you guys have been making this entire time um but i don't know i mean i know we're all right not to be going to bars but beyond that i don't know like there's so many layers of what you can do that counts as responsible behavior um and you can feel good about doing the not doing the vastly irresponsible stuff but after that it's tough. Yeah, especially because I was feeling when we were talking about Tenet potentially coming out, and since we had that conversation last week's episode, it has already been delayed um, <laughs> and may end up being delayed again. But, uh, you know, I, I think I said on that episode that I would personally feel comfortable seeing it in a hyper controlled environment that's really only realistic for press um, and was already sort of entertaining notions of just you know, being ultra careful and traveling to Toronto for the film festival, maybe driving up there, as I have done in the past and like to do. Um, I'm going to let you in there. Yeah, I mean, you know, listen, these ideas feel so much wackier now than they did even a week ago. But yeah. uh, and now I'm of the mind that uh, all of the fall festivals 
with the possible exception of Venice, but maybe that two are going to go online only. Um, cause today, the Tabitha Jackson from Sundance, uh, was talking about even Sundance in January is already transitioning to more of an online communal hub thing, um, and may end up being delayed itself. But, uh, that's the only, yeah. I mean, Sundance, especially like being such a vector for all other respiratory illnesses in the winter, <laughs> right. um, that is like the only thing they can do. And there, there's a lot of talk that there were viruses floating around Sundance this year. Um, before we were aware that it had made its way to the United States. But, uh, I, it's that kind of things. It's like, I would feel personally comfortable doing, but it ripples through your life. If you try to have one in ways mm-hmm. that are profound, it's like, I, and it doesn't always make sense. It isn't always rational. Like, you know, you would think, you know, bringing that into my home, if I went to a screening room and saw tenant with four other people would be, these are the, the last people that I would ever want to get sick. Um, but there's also that irrational feeling of closeness where in the same way that I'm more predisposed to seeing one of my friends, cause I trust that they've been taking care of themselves and taking precautions. Um, and it's like, you know, I, like, uh, I, I've been seeing David Sims. I'll go over to his stoop with Asa and we'll have a socially distant conversation. But if he was like, yeah, I'll come over to your apartment and I'll sit on the uh, couch 10 feet away. I, you know, would be like, yeah, I have no problem weird. with that because I know you. Um, but, uh, it, you know, he, <laughs> all, for all the obvious reasons, it would be just as dangerous as having anyone else. Um, I don't know. It's just a big, ball of wax that I think uh, on national and individual levels we're not fully prepared to deal with. And it's a really strange time to be a new parent or probably a parent at all, a stressful time at that. Um, but to our listener who left us a review um, and uh, who I've spent the last 45 minutes or so sending silent good vibes, um, you know, there. <laughs> I'm trying to think of silver linings. Uh it's it's great that my social calendar during this pandemic has not been all that different, probably, than it would have nope. been uh, nope. <laughs> with a newborn. But everyone else in the world has had to be stuck at home along with me. And so the elimination of FOMO, not a novel idea uh, that I'm expressing here, but as someone with a seventh-month-old, it, it's felt like everyone was forced into my boat. Everyone's which, on uh, maternity and paternity leave. It's yeah, like, no yeah. one got to see Black Widow. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> no um, one's going to restaurants. I'll say something yeah. for having kids that like I noticed today, having them back home again um, for the first time in a while, is that there are chunks in the day when like I'm supposed to be doing work or you know, uh, supposed to be somewhere, but like, I kind of have them out of the house to kill time. And there's just been so much killing time of like trying to think of like things to do with them. And then, so then we're out in a park or like on a walk or something. And if they want to stop and look at some sticks for 10 minutes, we're stopping to look at it six for 10 minutes. We got nowhere to be. We have, there's nothing to do. Like sometimes I even manage to keep keep my phone away. I mean, like then you find some worms and you can stack the sticks and you can like fill a cup with sand. Um, and it's kind of, it, there's, there's something nice about that. There's something about tapping back into the sense of like not having any distractions and like if you can really keep your phone away, which is hard. Um, but sometimes manage to do it. Um, there, there's a, there's a ability to be present that I don't want to overhype because I feel like then you start being like, Oh, the silver lining to the pandemic and that's bullshit. Um, but I think kids help you accomplish that more than I imagine if you're like Dave and you are yourself an adult in your house and you have the power to like accomplish things and um, don't have an excuse to tune out like that. Yeah, but not I, to find I, a silver... I started the stand this week because I had nothing else <laughs> oh, to <boy>. do. <laughs> but not to find a silver lining, which I agree is a, is a problematic way of looking at it and kind of callous. But the idea of having kids during the pandemic is at least a double edged sword in that 
Um, it adds unquestionably to the stress uh, of of coping in this time and being cooped up, especially I would guess if you live in a small fifth floor walk up in a New York apartment and not a beautiful house in the wilds of South Carolina, North Carolina, North Carolina, Jesus, Christ. whatever, who cares? <laughs> you have to Carolina. come here someday. Um, you're the one with the hockey team. I remember, uh, but um, but at the same time, you know, if you are liable to or predisposed to depressive thoughts uh if like if you're basically a normal human being in this day and age who uh after months of this not just the uh being stuck in place but the existential dread that's swirling around it the reason why we're here the uh complete lack of action that uh people in our government and the people in, uh, on the streets who they inspire are doing to help the cause and so forth um Ha- the kid was- gives you a sense of purpose. It gives you something to, um, I don't want to say to live for, but it, it no, it's a job. It's like a, it's a thing that you like, yeah. wake up and do, and you can't ignore, and you can't like. There's so many elements of your life you can let kind of fall apart in this time, and uh, the kid is not one of them. But the passage of time, I think, in in you know of the various like, dimensions that it can do to occupy you and fulfill you, I mean, I think that's really been. As time has slipped away from all of us and the days have blurred together, and even months ago now, we were having jokes of local news anchors being like, today is Wednesday, as a public service <laughs> announcement. Um, it's watching Asa grow up, and they grow up so much in those first seven months, um, where you're just a radically different person every couple of days, has, I think, helped me maintain my grip on reality, if not sanity. Um, but it's bittersweet as well, because going back to my family, my friends, my mom in particular, uh, it's sad that they completely missed out on some of these chapters in his life um, mm-hmm. and really special ones at that. I mean, I don't really know the ones that are coming firsthand, although I've you know, seen them in, in nieces and whatnot. But uh, um, it's it's sad. I mean, he's like a he's a real boy now. Um, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, those, those, those days where he was a little bun you could toss around are kind of lost mm-hmm. like tears in the rain. Uh, see how but, getting those 10,000 steps goes once he starts having opinions. <laughs> uh, well, I also have opinions and my opinions are he needs to shut the fuck up and enjoy the only exercise that I get and <laughs> um, play, play with some twigs. Okay. <laughs> it'll really it'll slow you down then you'll really if, if you play with twigs and then get your 10,000 steps and you're really going to be he's out there happy for he's you know by all means can walk alongside me and tire himself out and then when his body just stops working which is what happens to kids this age uh and they just go from from zero, 60 to zero in the blink of an eye i'll toss them in the carriage and it'll be fine um but uh in the carriage the stroller carriage feels like a word we don't use to describe that anymore um it makes me think of isaac hayes's chandelier uh appointed uh limousine in escape from new york there's literal (laughs) chandeliers bouncing around on the hood of his limo in post-apocalyptic manhattan I mean, I can't wait for the part of the pandemic where we all get to dress up our cars, so. (laughs) (laughs) I saw today, an hour ago, someone driving down my street in a convertible with a stuffed animal pig buckled in, a large one, buckled into the passenger seat of their convertible. And it did feel like a baby step towards the wasteland. What a beautiful day. All shiny and chrome. (laughs) 
Uh, do we have anything else to add for pandemic check-in? Uh, wait, let's talk good. about what we've... Oh, wait, oh. can we... Oh. Just to end things on a go. slightly... Yeah, David. I, I do, I do, but I'm, I want to do our listeners uh, a service and not just have this be the saddest segment three we've ever had. Um, do you guys... Have you guys watched or read or engaged with any any art in the past couple of days that you would recommend other than the Babysitter's Club? Yes. I watched Shirley on Hulu. It's about someone who's not leaving her house. It's pretty relatable mm. these days. Um, I So, like, as Elizabeth Moss felt very good in this, but also, like, a little bit more, like, performer-y than I think of something like Her Smell, which I loved her in so much. Um, but the movie's really powerful. It's Josephine Decker, who you heard David talk about a ton, both in the context of Madeline's Madeline. This movie is very much in that vein. And so it's it's a lovely way to do a biopic and that it's not really a biopic at all. And so much of it is about this younger woman who lives in the house with Shirley Jackson and her husband. Uh, it's about how uh, academia sucks, which I guess mm-hmm. I didn't need a movie to tell me, but uh, it, it, it evokes pretty powerfully. Um, and then about, like, you know, women and their place within this, like, dumb world run by men who think they're way smarter than everybody else. Um, so I, it's a it's a very focused watch. Like, it is not the Babysitter's Club that you're going to wander in and out of. Um, but, you know, it's like one of, I think, one of the major movies that's been out this year. And Michael Stuhlbarg uh, not reprising his role from Cal- Call Me By Your Name. But, like, not not reprising <laughs> his role from same, Call Me By Your Name. The same general archetype, but uh, twisted, you know, yeah. away from... What's the what's the thing where you have, like, the chaotic good, chaotic neutral? What's that the thing alignments. called? Yeah. Sure. The alignment, uh, D&D he's D&D on alignments. A, a very different square on the alignments. Yeah, no, he's like away from Dream Dad and more about like nightmare controlling husband, but the same like bearded academic who would like really give you a warm welcome to a party. Interesting. Sure. <laughs> and then absolutely dismantle you behind closed doors. Yeah, and then sleep with like a whole bunch of other people. Yeah, I didn't mean that sexually, but yes, also that. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anytime, Michael Stuhlbarg. Uh Dave, what have you been watching? Uh, in terms of new things, uh, I watched a couple episodes of The Floor is Lava. It's a show on Netflix where some teams try to cross a room and the room's floor is covered with red water that they pretend is lava. And the reason you know it's lava is because if someone falls in in the lava, they never come back up. So they edit it when they assume they get some nice people into the water and dry them off and towel them off and whatnot and then tell everybody to continue. It's super dumb, but in terms of competition reality TV series, it doesn't seem to be creating any, uh, like false thing. There's not like a, I hate this team because, you know, they're, they're from Kentucky and I'm from Illinois. It's just people trying to get across a room playing the floor is lava. It is low, low impact, low reward, but, uh, if, if you need some comfort food for those last minutes before you drop off to bed, uh, floor is lava. Maybe it feels like a sporting thing. I don't know. They're trying to, mm. with the announcement style, to be like, it, it's kind of like sports. It's and like, maybe... um, it's like Wipeout, my uh, yeah. old favorite, uh, network TV show. I've been, so it keeps popping up on Netflix and I'm like really close to convincing Charlie to watching it with me. So, uh, I'll, I'll keep you posted. I would love to watch the floor is lava. Yeah. I wonder if Charlie would enjoy that. I imagine, you know, the stakes would be higher for him just because the floor would be lava. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. We'll see, we'll see how this. He's a pretty literal kid, so I'm not sure that he'll buy that the floor is really lava. Uh, <laughs> He'll be David, like, "Oh, they disappeared. They're gone. They're gone forever. <laughs> they died in the lava." David, what have you been watching? Uh, 
Not much. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> trying deck. to think. Well, we watched we watched Escape from New York, which I've referenced a couple of times now. Uh, always watching Below Deck. It's my post fighting in the war room recording session. Uh, pumpkin pie talenti, maybe an aperol spritz if I'm really feeling wild. Uh, watch. There was an excellent article about the making of Below Deck in the New York Times today, which I would encourage anyone with even a passing interest in reality television to read. Um, and I have been playing my next video game that I'm playing for work, uh, which oh we boy. may or may not talk about. But I'm leaning towards May because it is inspired by the samurai films of Akira Kurosawa. Um, it's called Ghost of Tsushima, and it's a open world game. It's very much like a set. It's it basically exactly Assassin's Creed Odyssey, but you're a samurai in 13th century Japan. Um so that has been taking up my spare time for entertainment. I think that's uh, that's about it. That's good. That and baby concerns. That, that takes up a lot of time. That does it for this week's Fighting in the War Room, right? Yeah. Okay, that does it for this week's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back. Well, I will, you guys will be back next week. And Patches will be. I'll be gone. Um, off. Not just Hamilton. any Patches. A Patches that has seen Hamilton. That's entirely fucking new patches. Java also has not seen it. This Friday is going to be a big week. I can't believe I'm going to. Has patches promised that he's actually going to sit down and watch it? This is a good question. He better fucking. If he doesn't, I mean, you're you're making. It's a bizarre assumption to make after like half a decade of him resisting engaging in the Hamilton phenomenon in any way that he's going to just dive into it as soon as it's available. You know, I bet we could figure we could figure out a way to do it, David. What you have to do is go to your Twitter account. Put uh-huh. hey patches. Don't mm-hmm. don't tag patches. That's rare. But do tag F I T W R needs you to watch Hamilton. And then you're getting patches to watch Hamilton and, and tweeting, tweeting about the about podcast you're on. Wait, wow. but why am I not why am I not tagging patches? I mean you could publicly shame them if you want. I'm just more excited that you tweet about the podcast. Why would I not want to publicly shame that patches? Well, because Patches, uh, unlike, uh, I think like Katie and I, actually follows the at FitWar handle, so he'll get back to you if you just tag the podcast. <laughs> Why not? Wait, do you I don't follow, follow the... I do! I do follow the FitWar handle. <laughs> anyway, I just, wow. I try, I'm trying for my other Hail Mary. David, tweet about the podcast you're on. Yeah, I meant to, and then this weekend was, uh, was a busy one. Uh, well, we're here. We're going to give you time to plug yourself. Tell people who you are. Oh, uh, I am David Ehrlich. Uh, I promise you I'm doing okay. <laughs> it's just a wild time. Uh, I, uh, the senior film critic for IndieWire. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich. You can find all of us on iTunes at Fighting in the War Room. Please leave us a review on iTunes. We would love to read the top of the show. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at DA7E. You can find this podcast at fightingintheworm.com, including all of our back episodes and two feeds, two legacy feeds, with hundreds of episodes on them. It's dumb. We've been doing this for so long. Anyway, I'm also on a podcast called The Storm. We're following Lost. It's a storm, a Lost Rewatch podcast. We're still in season three, and next week we're doing uh, Stranger in a Strange Land, a.k.a. the worst episode of Lost. So Ooh, the tattoos episode. It is. So either join in if you liked us to make fun of bad television, or if you don't, uh, in the next couple of weeks, we'll be into the meat of season three that I actually like. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at VanityFair.com and on the Little Goldman podcast there, where this week we're talking about the Babysitter's Club some more. Uh, <laughs> you can't stop me. Um, 
that's it for Lily Coleman for now. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where David will be tagging that Twitter handle all the time. Uh, you can also talk to us about whatever or answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of Hamilton Week on Disney+, Plus, what's a movie or show that has announced it's coming to streaming that you're looking forward to? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back, and some of us will, talking to you next week.